Welcome to the Get Real Podcast, your high-octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. I am your host, Ron Phillips. And man, I've got a fantastic show for you today. I am I am really, really pumped about today's episode because I've got my really, really good longtime friend, John Galane, with me. John, welcome to the show. Ron, thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time and I, I feel so close, even though we're so far. I know, man. I know. This is... Uh, it, so... Let me give John a proper introduction. So John and I travel, most importantly, well, let me do the boring stuff first. John has been in the financial services industry for like four to three, four decades. It's got to be four decades. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's running about 40 years. It was uh, 2003 when I entered. I mean, the guy has... I'm sorry, 19, 19, gosh, 1983. Yeah, so it's been a minute. Um, And... Anyway, his history goes back to um, the stock market. Uh, he was a really he was a VP for Morgan Stanley for quite a while, and and then he transitioned into uh, alternative investments, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Uh, founder of Mountain West IRA, which um, is the IRA custodian that we send all of our people to. Fantastic service. Um, mm-hmm. They've been doing that for fifteen years. He and his wife Lisa um, run that, and it is. Of, of all of the companies, of the IRA companies that are out there, his company is has the, the best level of service, period, end of story. Um, we really, really love working with them. Most importantly, John and I spoke together on the road to thousands of people over a decade, over a decade, decade long. We spoke all over. We were like the traveling circus. John and I educated people about alternative investments, IRAs, real estate, you name it. Um, and we had an absolute blast uh, doing it. And it is, it is really fun to have you on the show, John, to be able to kind of get the team back together after it's been a long time, man. Good Lord. How long has it been since we've been on the road? Oh gosh, it's got to be probably six, seven years, maybe. Yeah, it has been way too long. So guys, get ready. John is a, is a wealth of knowledge. Um, I wanted to bring him in to talk a little bit about just the markets and things like that. I think anytime there's up, when everything's going really well, everybody is, everybody's a genius, right? Because they're making money in the markets. When things start to get a little crazy in the markets, then people who really are geniuses with the market, John is the person I go to when I don't understand what the hell is going on. I say, John, what is going on? And then he explains it to me, what's going on. So I thought we'd talk about a few things. Um, number one, just really quickly, how John sees things um, right now and you know, get his thoughts maybe on the real estate market a, a little bit as well. But then I want to talk about the financial service industry just in, just in general, some of the things that you guys probably don't know that John knows from being in the belly of the beast for so many years, right? And he's not a hater on the stock market, but he, he does have some really, really good knowledge about what goes on there. And then we'll transition into um, some uh, alternatives and talk a little bit about that, um, that segment. Um, so John, tell us a little bit about, um, I mean, we were, talk, we were just talking about dead cat bounces not, not too many minutes ago. I mean, I was telling everybody, or I was telling John that I was Felt really smart because I knew what that was because John educated me years ago about what it was. But talk to us just a little bit about what you think is. Uh, give us a give us a quick down and dirty of what you think is going on and how you think um, real estate will will fare. Well, I have to tell you that this is probably the most fascinating market in my life. And when I say fascinating, I say it in a positive way because 
we've become so complacent in our investing. You know, we, we either have a totally down market like 2007, 2008, or we have a totally up market like we did right before coronavirus. And sometimes it's good for the market to shake up and for people to get shaken up a little bit. Granted, you know, things aren't perfect as far as, as business is going and the shutdown is, a, is just a horrible thing. The, the unprecedented loss of jobs of 17 million, 16.8 million in three weeks is like something that's never happened on the face of the earth before. So it, it, the ramifications of it are enormous as we go further out with the economy being closed down. And what I think has happened is people are so desperate for something positive to happen that the market is an easy target to go back into. It, we saw it go down at the beginning of coronavirus when everybody got scared. Uh, we saw it come back when people thought things were getting better, when the graphs that they show on all the news channels every day, you know, the curve is flattening, the curve is going down, deaths are going down. It's it's just, there's a lot of morbidity in how they're discussing coronavirus. And I think right. they're missing the psychological effect of what's going on. I'd like to see more of that and less of the charts. Charts are easy. They're an easy, they're, they're, they're easy for people to grasp because it's a bar and a line. Yep. It's so easy to grasp. And that creates a nightmare in the market. And here's where I think the instability is. I think that psychologically, the market has built in coronavirus and that it's going to be here for a while. And I think that people are getting used to that and we're seeing the market come back up. And you talked about a dead cat bounce. I happen to believe, I happen to be one of those that what hasn't been valued into the psychology of the market is what happens when we have another report coming out today or tomorrow on another 6 million jobs lost. You know, and I don't know what it'll be, but let's assume that's kind of what it has been. What happens then? And what happens when the economy is still isn't open? And what happens this? And what happens that? And what happens with coronavirus? And I think that this that psychology of getting the market open and how, or not the market, but the economy open and running again is misconstrued. I hear political analysts talk about, oh, it's a B recovery or a U recovery or an L recovery. Okay, I'm going to do something that's inappropriate on a podcast, but, ah, you know, <laughs> like, who cares? Yeah. It's so important, you know? You get up in the morning, you want to know, are you safe? You know, is your family going to be healthy? And is your money going to be there, right? Your future. Yeah. People yeah. think about their future and they think about right now. They could care less about U's and B's and L's and all the other stuff that gets spewed on TV. So... When we talk about dead cap bounce, which you and I were talking about earlier, is I think that the market has not built that in. I think that what's going to happen on this economy open is it's going to be slow. I don't think it's going to bounce back as quick as some people are saying. I also don't think it's going to be as detrimental as some people are saying, as long as we start getting people back to work. Yes, I, I was amazed at the 8.5% drop in retail sales. That's huge. That's, that's like depression kind of huge. 1929 kind of big. And yeah. that coupled with the that coupled with the the job losses are a big thing. So I think that the market is being unduly supported. I think there's a lot of volatility left. I think that volatility is going to be with us way past the election. You know, so a lot these of people, people talk about John, election year volatility. What? <clears throat> so these people who have been out there, I mean, uh, and you know, Facebook uh, all the social media sites, people are out there, man, it's time to buy. It's time to buy. It's time to buy. Um, cause you know, everything's going to go back up. If I heard you right, it, it 
it may not be quite time to buy. Well, it's always time to buy. You know, you when you and I were talking, you would hear me say, because I am I love the stock market as well as I love real estate and other alternative investments. It's always time to buy. But you have a choice. You can either be a bull, a bear, or a pig. So if you're a bear, you just stick with what you have and go to sleep and hibernate through this whole thing. And don't worry about it. Don't don't sell. Don't buy. You know, if you if everything's already invested, stay invested. If you've got cash, diversify. Don't put it all in the stock market. Don't put it all in one place. You know, look at real estate. I happen to think that the stability in real estate, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but the stability in real estate is much better than the stock market right now. Yeah, I happen to agree. So <clears throat> so the the in the stock market is if you're a bear and do nothing, you're fine. And I can tell you that I'm a bear right now. I've done nothing. I'm not a seller. I'm not a buyer. I'm just kind of watching. Yeah, I know the market's going to go up, but I'm also 60 years old. So I don't care if it's going up in five years or two years. It's going to go up. I'm already good with where my investments are. Okay. The other thing is you can be a bull. If you're a bull, it's like buy now and just let it ride, right? And deal with the down. If there's a downturn, buy more. Right. So you keep know, what's and invested, prepare yourself buy more. With, yeah, when you prepare yourself that if you buy now, you could have a 20 to 30% drop somewhere in the near future, depending on what happens with the opening of the economy. Okay. And the most important thing, John, I, I think that people don't realize uh, the majority of the people out there who, you know, just regular folks who are just there, they've got money parked and it's in the stock market is not to freak out. Right. It's because if you sell, how many times did we do presentations where we're telling people, look, if you sell at the bottom, you've locked in all the losses. Right. And then when you buy back Forever. in, you're, you're, you're buying back in with lost money to try to gain money. It's, it's, it doesn't work that way. That's the pigs. Those are, I talked about the bears, the bulls, and the pigs. The pigs get scared and sell when it's low and they go back in and buy higher. So they have a guaranteed loss always in the market. Yep. So... You know, if, if you're a pig and you think now is the time to buy because it's only going up, what's going to happen is you're going to go in with everything. You're going to buy in that market because you just know, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the cat's meow. Yep. It's going to beat everything. And as soon as it goes down, being a pig, you're going to get scared and you're going to sell. And you'll continue that cycle of buying high and selling low until you've lost everything. Yep. I kid you not, I've watched clients do this. When I was with Morgan Stanley, I begged clients not to do this. I watched a guy buying on margin, build an account up to from next to nothing up to a million dollars. And I asked him to stop buying on margin that the, at the levels he was buying, it was too high a risk in a market that was becoming volatile. And he, man, he was just convinced it was doing nothing but going up. He managed in about a month's time to lose all million and end up owing Morgan Stanley $40,000. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So, so that's what happens with pigs. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. Now, let's switch from market to real estate, if you're okay with that, Ron. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. The, the advantage of real estate right now is interest rates have never been lower. And I can't believe I'm saying this because... In 2008, 9, 10, I was saying interest rates, connect, they just can't get any lower. Right. But here we are at a zero to a 0.25 overnight. It just doesn't get any lower. It's the greatest buyer's market in real estate there is. And you're saying, whoa, wait a minute. You're saying it's a great buying market, but prices are up so much. Yes, they are. Your, your, you know, your cap rates are low. Your prices are up, but people are going to need places to live. Always going to need places to live. 
businesses might be changing how they do things. They might not have as much physical presence in buildings. So I think that if I were a betting man, I'd probably bet with with residential over commercial right now. Yep, I agree. I think I actually think there's going to be a little bit of a shakeup in the um, in the in the office space market. I've seen uh, it every decade. It happens yeah. every decade. I remember I remember when the the oil crisis in the in the seventies shook up. I mean, Houston went belly up. There were so many empty buildings. I remember in the 80s, the JBL fiasco, when they came in and, and Reagan changed the tax taxation on investments yep. that weren't really investments, they were tax write-offs, destroyed the commercial market. I saw it in the 90s when we had a downturn in the 90s with Clinton and saw it again. And commercial just like, it was like a ghost town for a while, you know? And then we saw it again in the 2000s. In eight, eight, nine, ten, when it was just so it's not it's not unreasonable that here we are in the next decade and we're gonna see another major commercial shakeup. Yeah, I agree. The, so, and, and I've been telling people too, John, you know, we when we were speaking for the last 10 years, we would update the graph of um, new construction, which was basically non-existent for almost five or six years. They're just remember that, you know, because the population growth continues to grow and we weren't building anything really, relative to population growth. We finally started to, you know, climb that hill, but even still, there wasn't a big spike. And so many of these, many of the places across the country still have a a shortage of, of housing. It's not as if, you know, everybody runs back to 2008, wants to talk about 2008, but this is not the same market. It's just not. We've gotten this, we've gotten this crazy market that we were just talking about because of, of coronavirus, but, but the real estate market and the under, underlying real estate market is not the same, not even close. People have equity in their properties right now. They're not stuck in these crazy mortgages that we had before. Most of them are fixed, long-term, very low interest rate loans. In addition to that, we don't have a glut of homes in almost anywhere. We don't have a glut of homes on the market. And it's not propped up by a whole bunch of investors that were speculating on appreciation. It is entirely different this time. And so, I, yeah, I happen to agree with you about uh, uh, the real estate market. Let's let me in, go ahead. Let me real quick on that. The difference between 2007, 2008 now and and the dramatic difference that's kind of the technical side of it. And you gave the overall umbrella picture, which you're absolutely right on. But technically, in 2007, eight, for two decades prior, wirehouses, the big like the Morgan Stanleys and, and JP Morgans and Goldman Sachs and Bear Stearns and you know everybody that went under, they were separating out mortgage interest from assets. And they were selling the assets separately. They're what's called tranches. And they were selling, remember this when we were talking, how I'd go through the tranches and, and how yep. devastating this was. They were selling to one group of people the interest. So people were earning interest with no underlying asset. Yep. And they were selling the assets to other people. And that's what created the whole problem that hit, finally hit in 2008 is as soon as interest rates crashed and as soon as the, the real estate market crashed, there was no asset to back up interest. They couldn't pay the interest because people were losing their homes and there was no assets for people to take and, and either foreclose on or sell or anything. Right. So it just ripped the market to shreds. What you have now completely different. 
you have a very stable real estate market with long-term fixed interest rate, and the assets and interest are not apart. They're together. Wirehouses can no longer split those tranches. They're not allowed yeah, to do it anymore. That's so, important. And I, and, I think, and I think most people don't know that. I appreciate the explanation a little bit deeper dive into that because you know they don't, they don't report things like that. They report high no. level and they also report national numbers, which are yeah. irrelevant. In the, in the real estate world, national numbers are, though they're, they're irrelevant. They, they don't matter because um, just because some market is inflated doesn't mean that the rest, the 80% of the rest of the country is, is inflated as well. It's just not true. Um, and we and we saw that very well in um, in 2007 and eight, where a lot of areas were not inflated and they got brought down because of the technical pieces that you just talked about, because yes. the, of the banks, they got brought down. Yep. The those economies and those real estate markets actually were not they shouldn't have gone down. The only reason they went down was because of the technical aspects that you just talked about. Yeah, and that's correct. That's exactly what happened. I mean, there were markets, gosh, you and I could probably name a dozen off the top of our head. Like yeah, Boise, ones Idaho, that we were buying in, in 2010, and, yeah, 11, was, 12. <laughs> huh? The ones that we were buying in in 10, 11, and 12. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. Uh, so, John, let's talk really quickly about since you were so deep into and 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 kind of still are really in in some degrees into the financial industry. I think there's a lot of things that people should know, but that they just don't know. Um, one that I'll never forget that you explained. I'd love for you to explain it. Is just this this phenomenon of average returns and that everything works out magically because the average return is 10 point whatever it is or 12 or whatever they tell you yeah. and when when the average person out there opens their 401k their average return is never what these financial companies are allowed to say the returns are That's and right. the disparity between the two of those is in some cases stark and yet those companies don't get in trouble for saying that their returns average 12%. Why is that? How is that? And then let's just talk through some of the other things that people just don't know about this industry um, that are kind of hiding in the corners or behind the scenes that people just don't realize that that are there. Well, there's two questions that you asked there that are basically about an hour each. So I'm going to try and make them about... Shrink them down, John. Shrink them down. the... The what you're what what I was talking about, what you were just talking about on the average rate of return that that companies are allowed to report is in mutual funds. And what happens is mutual funds are allowed to report their average rate of return over one, three, and five years based on the buying and selling of mutual funds without the losses added in or without the tax ramifications, because a lot of funds will turn over 200, 300 percent. And those those turnovers are all taxable because they're short term. They're all taxable at, at the individual's tax rate. And they're allowed to report figures without calculating taxes. And what That's happens insane. is on, on those big return funds, you're, you've are you got to, if you're in a 30% tax bracket, your average rate of return has to come down 30%. So if they're, if they're reporting a five-year average rate of return of 10%, average over five years, you've got to you've got to reduce it by 30% a year, which takes it down somewhere to between three and seven percent. Uh, if it's not in a tax deferred type of situation, if it's in a tax deferred situation, those those returns are returns. But they use it's what's called window dressing. And they're allowed to sell at the end of the quarter to 
they sell all their stuff with big gains to jack up the return. So at the end of the quarter, when they report their quarterlies and their annual and their three-year, they use window dressing to increase the returns. It's yeah, been... When- it's been done for 50 years in the mutual fund business. Yeah, it's insane and, to and me. And it's that, legal. Yeah. Now, if I did that, I would go to prison. So yeah. it's it's remarkable to me that they can that they can do that, right? Yeah. If, if, on, if on real estate syndications, in my, like if I have a syndication company yep. and I have on my website that our average return is, is X and it's not, I, the SEC will come and get me. They will sue me, take everything I have. Right. And then they will put me in prison in, to boot. And yet this other place where you get to play, these other people get to play in this, in this other world where they don't have the same rules. It's, it's nuts. But I think most people assume that they have the same rules because they should. Well, yeah, they assume that. And here's the situation. If the real estate market was allowed to do what the stock market did, let me tell you how the returns would look. And this is in a tax deferred situation because I deal with this all the time. I talk about it. You've heard me say this. You're going to remember this when I say it. If if the rules in real estate and the stock market and mutual funds were the same, whereas you could report a 10% average annual return over five years or 10 years in a, in a fund, which most funds average out between eight and 12, you know, right. once you're done, which they also don't have to report their fees. There's certain fees that don't get added in there. Right in their returns. The returns are gross returns. Okay. But if you were allowed to do the same thing in the real estate market, your average rate of return on a cash on cash piece of real estate might be 3% per year. So an average of 3%. But if you're allowed to put your financing in there and account for the interest that you paid, your average rate of return on a piece of property that's got a 60% loan or 70% loan on it goes from 3% to about 30% average annual. So right. if you were allowed to do it, you know, dollars to dollars and and allowed to do the same thing in real estate as stock market, and I, I obviously don't have time to draw you charts and show this, but you've seen me do it, that in a piece of real estate that cash on cash is returning 3% per year average annual, the total return after a 10-year period on that property is closer to 30% using lending. Right. And you can't margin mutual funds. You can margin stocks, but you can't do it in a tax deferred account. You can't margin stock. You can margin real estate. You can get loans on it and you can create those higher returns. Now, when I say 30%, I don't want anybody to think I, I'm t- talking hypothetical. So I'm right. talking on a hypothetical piece of property. Don't anybody come back and say, he said I can get 30%. No, I'm saying that there's if you do it correctly and you've got good properties, you could do that. But if you were allowed to report the same, the reporting on real estate would look so much bigger. Yep. But you're not. You're not allowed to report that. You're only 100%. allowed to report cash on cash return. 100%. And then, you know, you, you talked about taxes. There's also, I mean, the taxes and fees that come out that are that are specific to the comp to that company, all of that stuff comes out before it goes to you. And then it's my understanding they don't have to report on any of that. They they report the top number. Well, they don't report the taxes. They have to report some fees, but they don't have to report all the fees because fees are individual per client. So the SEC goes, oh, you don't have to worry about reporting that because there's no way for it to be exactly right. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's absurd to me that they're allowed to do that. And, you know... Yeah, well, so you're you're right. We could probably go on for two or three hours. I'm, I'm going to have to have you back. We're going to have to talk about some other stuff. <laughs> well, oh, let but me let, answer that. The first question you asked me was average rate of return over a period of time. There is no period in the history in America 
where the average rate return in the stock market or the real estate market has been under a 10% average annual rate of return. Yeah, no calculated on equal. Yes. Uh, even the even the Great Depression. So now not everybody has 30 years, but you have to keep that in mind that if you've got a long-term horizon, that there is no reason your return shouldn't even out between uh, losses and gains. And you're not going to win on everything. Every good investor knows that the goal is just win on more than you lose. Yes. It's it's about getting on base. I, I talk about uh, I talk about in baseball terms, right? You don't have to hit a grand slam home run every time right. you hit it stand up at the plate. You can bunt, you can hit it into the outfield, doesn't make any difference. So long as you get on base and you continue to get on base, you advance. And and that that's the name of the game. I, yeah. I think also, John, if we're being fair, you know, I'm 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 a fan of beating up the stock market. I know you're not, but I am. I, I really don't understand it the way you do. So I I like to um, brutalize it just a little bit. But if we're being fair, the same thing happens in real estate. A person goes and buys a piece of real estate they have some things happen to them, right? They have a vacancy, they have a high turn cost. Yeah. Um, and, and so their, their short-minded self gets in the way of a long-term investment and, they, and they, they sell lock-in losses where they should have just stuck it out you know, and, and kept that investment long-term and time heals all real estate woes, um, they say, right? So uh, the same thing that happens in the stock market sometimes happens in the real estate market too. It's yes. unfortunate that people don't have a long-term view of, of investments as they should because they're investments, uh, right? Um, you know, it's part of the right now economy we're in. Yeah. Because of social media and because of technology, people expect everything right now. And I think it's one of the big myths about real estate because of HGTV and all these gurus that go around telling everybody that you can make a million dollars in three months um, working four hours a week oh, and flip, flipping real estate, right? Yeah. Same thing that they do with, with stocks, right? You can, you yep. can, you can, you do all this really cool, crazy stuff with stocks in no way to lose. a day, you know, and if you <laughs> use their system, you can't lose and yada, right. yada, right? It's, a, it's such a bunch of crap, but Here's the thing. When, when that overshadows, it's easy for people when they come into real estate and, and actually talk about real estate investing to think that those things are investing. You and I know that's it's not. That's a business. No, that's trading. Yes. That's, that's the same as, as Publix has groceries on the shelf. That's what you're doing. You're yes, buying something you're at a discount. Yes. And so that's you're not trading investing. Trading commodities for cash. You're not building a net worth. You're not building a future. You're not building... Uh, security in case of a down market. It's 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 not investing. It's gambling. Absolutely, it's day trading on the market and and flipping houses are. It's it's a commodity. You're just so, buying and selling a commodity and commodities. As we know, if you're in the uh, if you happen to be in the airline industry today, you you understand commodities better than ever in your life. Losing ten to fifty million dollars a day. Yep. Yep. You know, it's uh, that's not investing. So, John, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, to kind of bring this thing home just a little bit, what we've been talking about today, because we've talked about stocks, we've talked about real estate, we've talked about the markets, both stocks and real estates. I introduced you as the founder and owner of Mountain West IRA. Let's talk just a little bit about alternative investments and how it works, because so many people out there still, even though this has been since what, the 70s you could do this uh, with IRAs? I can't remember exactly what uh, year Since uh, 1975. Okay, 1975. so 
since I was one year old, um, you could you could do this, right? So my entire life, this is something that that people could do with their with their with their retirement accounts, and yet still millions of people don't know. And man, you, that that should tell everybody out there something about how much of a hold the financial services industry has on the media and 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 everything else out there right because if yep. they don't want people to know about this because they can't sell these things right so there's no stockbroker that makes money by you investing in real estate for right. instance in your IRA or any of a number of other things there's tons of things and I'm hoping you have I'm not hoping you have I'm hoping you share one of your many crazy stories about what people have done inside of their IRAs with. Oh God, I got so many. So, so give us a a high level, how this works with alternative investments. And then, you know, maybe we'll have you come back and do a deeper dive about how it works, but give us a high level about what this is that we've been, that I'm talking about. Okay. In investing inside of a self-directed, by the way, all IRAs are self-directed. Just because it's at a brokerage company doesn't mean it's not self-directed. You're responsible for all the investment. Whether an investment advisor does the investing for you or you do it yourself, it's all self-directed. So the law allows inside of an IRA, if you have a hard asset like real estate, that you can borrow money. It's called non-recourse loan. And I won't get into the whole thing today because that is a separate session. But you can borrow and leverage your real estate inside of an IRA and get create greater returns, as well as creating 1031 exchanges. And on the amount that's borrowed, there's a tax on that called a UBIT tax. And that tax can be carried forward right. against future gains. It's very cool. But now real, real, real quick, John, it's important. John said the word borrow. Everybody in the normal world thinks that's the same thing as when they go borrow money from their 401k to buy real estate. What John's no. saying is completely yes. different. I just want to make sure everybody understands. Yes. John, real quick, what are you talking about here that's different? What I'm talking about is the IRA itself takes a loan and the IRA is responsible for that loan on the piece of property. So the lender has no recourse against you individually or your IRA. The only recourse they have is against that piece of property that was borrowed on. Okay, so you don't sign personally, it doesn't go against your credit score, FICO, anything like that. So for everybody out there who's never even heard that they could buy real estate in their in their IRA, we just blew their minds up. Like they just exploded out there. Yeah. So not only did John just say that you can your IRA can actually buy real estate inside of your IRA. So we're not borrowing money out of it, uh, of the IRA to go buy real estate. The IRA is actually purchasing the real estate just like a yes. stock. You're okay? not distributing anything out of the IRA. You're not no taxable tax event. Advantage. As a matter of fact, what John said is that your your IRA can go borrow money just like you can to buy the asset, which means you can leverage it, and then rather than having the taxable event, you can actually, when you sell that property, you can use the the laws of the 1031 exchange the same as you can personally, your IRA can use it to push those taxable events um, forward inside of your tax sheltered entity. It's insane. There was a lot in there. I just tr- I tried to unpack a little that bit. That is of it. a two-hour course that we. Just I'm telling you, this is and, but this is so cool, John. So most people don't realize you can do alternative assets. And here's the thing: I've had a lot of people, John. They you what you were just saying is true. So I I go to my brokerage house that holds my IRA, mm-hmm. and I say, hey, I need a self-directed account. And they go, well, this is a self-directed account. Oh, okay, cool. Then I go home thinking I can invest in real estate with my brokerage account at wherever. 
Smith Barney, right? But I can't. They're telling me it is a self-directed because it is self-directed, like you said. But this account that you're talking about is, is a specialized, not necessarily a specialized account, but it's held by a specialized brokerage that allows you... Well, it's not a brokerage. Brokerage firms can't hold truly self-directed real estate accounts because brokerage firms fall under the SEC and NASD, National Association of Security Dealers. They have certain laws and they can only sell approved products. So you can't go to a brokerage firm and put real estate in your IRA. What you have to do is transfer that IRA to someone like us, who is an IRA administrator and trustee. We hold the funds. We sign the documents for the real estate. We don't hold any marketable securities. And that's why we can do this because we don't carry the NASD license. So companies like yours don't sell anything. That's correct. Right. Okay. That's correct. We don't sell any product. All we do is administer what you tell us to buy. Okay. And it could be real estate. It could be a lender. It can be, there's so many things. One of my favorite stories talking about stories on this, if you, if I've got a few minutes and we're, and yeah, yeah, everybody's do, do kind of got the concept of it. My favorite stories, matter of fact, I trademarked it. I love it so much is we have a client who buys cows in his IRA. Cow, like cattle. Move cattle. Move. The Move. actual cattle. He's not actual buying ranches. Cattle. He's actually buying cattle. Yes. And he started years ago. Gosh, it must be about 10 years ago now. He started with a cow, milk cow. And he buys the cows and he leases them to a rancher who takes care of the cows, <laughs> who milks the cows. And the, the income from the milk goes into his IRA tax-free. And each cow bears one calf a year. And that calf, if it's a if it's a cow, uh, brings in twenty five hundred dollars. If it's a if it's a bull, brings in three thousand. That's what I call a capital gain. So it's about a hundred percent capital gain minus food and vet bills. So you got a hundred percent gain on a capital gain on each cow that's birthed. Nice. Plus you have income every month on the milk production. None of this is hands on. They're all leased to a rancher that does all the work, and the rancher nice. gets you know, paid for doing that. He now has, I don't know the exact amount, but he has gone from one cow in 10 years to about 300 head of cattle. So imagine what 300 cows milking each day, which I call a bovidin. In uh, stocks, we might call it a dividend, but I like to call it a bovidin. And so each cow creates a bovidin each month, as well as a capital gain each year. That is fantastic. real estate. By the way, cows and rental properties are exactly the same. I used to call my renters, somebody got upset with me, but I used to call my renters uh, bovidens because they produce bovidens for me. So, <laughs> so that is a really good story. That's that even be, that even beats the fishing license story that I heard. Oh, yeah. Which is also a great one. Uh, yeah, he sold that license. He bought that license. I trying to remember now for about one hundred and forty thousand. And and had somebody fishing that license, he made a ton in dividends, you know, in, in monthly income on the fishing of the license. He ended up selling it for almost a million dollars. Unbelievable. Yeah. So Unbelievable. It was a huge gain for him. So the the moral of the story here, guys, is that if if you're sick of being trapped in in a in a world that you don't understand where you have to count on someone else to, I guess pick the right stocks or the right mutual funds or whatever, and you want to take control of your financial future, 
and you know your retirement accounts, then you can you can use a company like John's Mountain West IRA to 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 do that for you. You just tell them what you want to do, and then they can they sign the documents, transfer the money, and whatever. So in this in this scenario, if you wanted to buy a cow, well then you would you would call up the office and say I'm gonna I'm gonna do this capital gains and and Bovidens, uh deal, and I'm gonna buy a cow and lease it out, and all of the money goes from your account to whoever you bought the asset from. In this case, it was a cow. And then when you lease it out, all of the money from the leasing goes into your IRA. It doesn't come to you. It goes into your IRA. And Back it's really, really cool because <clears throat> interestingly enough, John, you're, you're, uh, you said this is just like real estate. And I think maybe maybe that that went over some people's heads, but it is exactly like that. If you actually go back and listen to some of the podcasts in the past, we talk about people who bought one house or one fourplex. And because of appreciation, capital gains, the, the thing increases in value, you can sell it and it can birth two or three other investments or other cows, right? It, it really is very similar. It's probably not on the exact same cycle as the cows, though. The, the cattle <laughs> seems like it might be a, a, I mean, you got to keep the things alive. I guess that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you one quick story. When I was What's the kid, depreciation have, schedule on those things? That's what I want to know. Uh, they are depreciable, by the way. Are they really? What is yeah, it? Five years? Yeah. And I don't know what their life is, but yeah, they are. They are depreciable. Unfreaking believable. Yeah. You can depreciate a cow. But not inside of an IRA because- oh. You know, because yeah. there's no taxability, so there's no depreciation. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Okay, but yeah, you can. But uh, interesting story. I had, I had when I was a kid, I had a friend who he bought two cows with his father, and um, my friend was a kid. There were kids, but his father bought the cow with his grandfather. And I'm over at their house one day. Guy must be about 14, 50 years old, and the father is talking to the grandfather. He says, "How's our cows doing?" And and he said, "Well." He goes, son, I have some bad news. Your cow died, <laughs> and, which they bought together. So, you know, I always talk about if you're going to partner, don't partner, partner anything that can die because all of a sudden your half might die. That's right. That's right. Man, this has been fun. It's for, for me, I hope it was great for everybody. I know that it was. There's a ton of information in here. But for me, this has been an absolute blast getting us back together. We, we're going to have to do this again. Absolutely. Um, for everybody else, too, because there's so much that goes into how this works, the intricacies of, of how these self-directed accounts work and what you can do with them. You're really only limited by two things um, and your imagination. You can't buy collectibles. You can't buy life insurance. And you just have to be creative. That's really it. And um, short of that, you can pretty much invest in anything you want. They're fantastic. Um, so again, John, how does how do people get a hold of you and your company if they want to reach out and ask you guys some questions or transfer some money into an account with Mountain West IRA? Our 800 number is uh, 800-377-3311. Our email is accounts at mwira.com. That's mountainwestira.com. Uh, we have offices in Florida and Idaho. And uh, just ask for anybody in accounts or business development, and they will get on and help you immediately. Awesome. A um, couple of my favorites, of course, are Megan Delane, who happens to be my daughter, and uh, Diane is, fantastic. is excellent. Uh, Bianca is excellent. Um, and so is Megan Brenneman. We have those are our those are our top people. I highly recommend having a conversation with them. They're knowledgeable. 
They're sharp as tacks and they will get it done and get it done right the first time and quickly. Awesome. Well, we will put that in the show notes, guys. So um, if you didn't get that, just look in the show notes and reach out to John and Lisa. They're they're fantastic folks. Their team is amazing over there. Um, they, They really, really do a good job. Guys, we've worked with, I think, every single account manager in the country. Um, If not, we've only missed a handful and they're head and shoulders above everybody else. John, thank you so much for your time. What an amazing 30-ish minutes, heavy on the ish it's been uh, today. (laughs) Well, we have Uh, some good stuff to talk about. And I just want to say during the coronavirus uh, pandemic, we are open for business. Yes, so are we. We're and rolling. So are we, baby. No shutdown over here. No shutdown over here. Hey, appreciate you. Uh, we'll have you back. Um, guys, if you if you like the show, give us a thumbs up. More importantly, uh, write us a review. Share this, uh, with, sh- share this episode with everybody. Everybody needs to know that they can um, self-direct their accounts. So share this out on social media. We appreciate you guys. Don't keep us a secret. Until next week, I'm this is Ron Phillips signing off. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to GetRealEstateSuccess.com.